Hello and welcome in to another edition of the Stretch Big Podcast with Jacob Bigelow. This is episode two coming to you the day after Nebraska's dominant win at the Sanford Pentagon over Oregon State, which saw the Huskers defeat the Beavers 84-63 to to improve to 5-0 on the season. The first 5-0 start for Nebraska men's basketball in 15 years. You have to go back to 2008-2009, uh, Doc Sadler's third season as the head coach. Uh, that team wound up finishing 500 in the Big 12 and made the NIT. But here we are in the year of our Lord, 2023. Nebraska basketball is 5-0 and with some dominant wins that were never in doubt. None more so than this one, in my opinion, a game where they took the lead for the first time with, well, they took the lead back from Oregon State with 13 minutes to go in the first half, and they never trailed again. Their biggest lead was as much as 31 points, and even the 21-point uh, margin of victory feels closer than this game really was, and that is due to a little bit of stagnant offense in the second half when they were up by 30, 25 to 30 in that range, and you know, the Oregon State kind of got it going from three uh, late in the game. <laughs> well, not from three. They finished you know, six of 22, but they got it going a little bit on offense. Uh, Jordan Pope still found his way, finished with 25. Tower Bilodeau finished with 15 for the Beavers, but no one else really got it going. So Nebraska, the uh, this was kind of looked at as the first emphasis on air quotes test obviously going away from Pinnacle Bank Arena for the first time this season uh traveling to Sioux Falls um and the first time outside of the closed door scrimmage with Utah um people like to forget so this is the second Pac-12 team Nebraska has gone up against on the court this year but the first one in front of an actual crowd um and this was, you know, if you listened to episode one, which I recorded the day before going to this game, I thought Nebraska should take care of business against Oregon State fairly easily. Uh, the Beavers are projected to be toward the bottom of the Pac-12. They were at spot 164 in Ken Palm before the game, and then they are now at spot 184, which is a 20-plus spot drop pretty easy math there but um they yeah for a pack for a power conference school to be rated that low ken palm has them projected to win 11 games uh the same number they won last year you're you're either really young or not very good oregon state is kind of both they have a lot of youth on their team but for nebraska to go on the road away from home obviously it was a you know 95% nebraska crowd in sioux falls you know just a two and a half hour drive away from omaha or a three and a half hour drive give or take from lincoln and there's plenty of husker alums in the sioux falls area as well so it was a very very red clad pro nebraska crowd that got into it was a very fun atmosphere yesterday. So this is going to be more so my general thoughts, takeaways. It's not going to be a play-by-play game recap. I'll give three things that I liked from the game that stood out, three questions that I still have as we look ahead to the rest of the non-con, the rest of the season at large. And, um, I mean, this is going to be 
lot, little shorter than episode one, just some general thoughts and takeaways. As I was one of the few, the proud, there were only four um, Husker media members that made the trip to Sioux Falls, uh, definitely due to football being on the road in Madison. But I was in the building yesterday, made the trip, and I've, I've definitely got some, some things that stood out. Uh, and some things that I still have questions over, despite a dominant performance on the on the scoreboard and on the re- on the glass rebounding. Uh, definitely Nebraska's most complete game so far. Uh, the first two things I liked are pretty easy, and it's the two guys who are the leading scorers, and they're Rink Mast and Bryce Williams. Um, I've kind of, if you if you've humored me since he transferred from Charlotte, I've kind of been the the captain of the Bryce Williams hype train. Made a few comparison. I made a comparison in episode one that he's got a little James Palmer Jr. in him. Uh, he can get going. He can be a be a you know be a guy who can go to the rim, draw contact. He loves mid range twos. Uh, he hit a couple couple corner threes in this one as well. Um, a little step back, uh, step back two just before the halftime buzzer. Still haven't gotten Fred Hoiberg's answer on how he feels about all the the tough twos that Williams likes to take. But if they're going in, I'm sure the head coach isn't going to complain. Williams finished with 25 points, nine of 17 shooting, uh, three of seven from three, and he, he made all his free throws, which was uh, which was uh, which is which was rare for any any Husker. But he was four for four from the line. Uh, in 28 minutes of action, and we saw him kind of be, we saw him be the lead guard at one point, bringing the ball up the court. Uh, they were drawn, they, you know, running, uh, facilitating, you know, the play for him in the corner, him getting to the rim. Bryce Williams did a little bit of everything, and it kind of, you know, the more I hear him talk uh, with uh, with us after the games, I kind of get the sense that. He's kind of the stoic, like stone cold killer on this team. Um, some of the quotes that he gave, he was like, "Yeah, I, I have size and athleticism. I mean, I got to go inside, or I'm wasting it." Like he just kind of, you know, we haven't seen much emotion from him on the court or or off of it really. But every team kind of just needs that guy who's constantly got the the business, you know, mantra. Like I'm just here to here to do my job and that's to you know put the ball in the bucket and Bryce Williams maybe he's the stoic stone cold killer on this team we've heard a lot about the energy guys the culture guys the guys diving on the floor that sort of thing but Williams you know as a 6-7 wing who's you know got a lot of different aspects to his game maybe he's just maybe he's the assassin maybe he's the guy that uh, is going to be the, the guy in winning time when we get uh, into you know Big Ten games later in the year, uh, Rinkmast. I've waxed poetic about Rinkmast on episode one. I've waxed poetic about him on the on in my radio spots during the week. Um, he's been as good as advertised, and then some. I mean, what stood out the most? Obviously, this is this was his third double double in five games so far. Finished with fifteen and thirteen. Um, he was he was all right from the free throw line as well. Oh, two from three. But Rinkmast. I mean, and this was you know. We know what he's going to see in the Big Ten. Obviously, any guy who transfers up from the Missouri Valley to the Power Power Six, you're going to expect there to be an adjustment period. This was the first matchup for him against a Power Six front court. You know, Oregon State had five guys who were six foot nine or taller, and that included a six ten guy and a seven two guy. And Mass battled the entire time, battled against all those guys, was never really flustered. And I was, I was, uh, I kind of, my eyebrow raised a little bit when, you know, in the post game, he got asked about the size and he's like, 
and he by name mentioned three guys that are going to be on the schedule later in the year and Ryan Kalkbrenner, Zach Eady, and Cliff Omarui. Um, and you know, and just the differences that all these guys have in their game, the way they play, the physicality, and kind of just said it's a game by game thing when looking at the scout for big men. But I, I definitely had a little eyebrow raise when he mentioned guys by name who still aren't on the schedule. You know, the Creighton games in a couple weeks, but then Purdue and Rutgers later in the year for conference. But Rinkmast, he's been he's been the constant through on offense through all these games. Just doing the dirty work on on the glass and playing physical against the other team's big men. Third double double in five games, really impressive. He probably should have. He was only two rebounds away from having four in a row. Um, and after the Stony Brook game, but Williams and Mass, two things that definitely stood out. Thirdly, um, you know Fred Hoiberg, he's going to keep beating this drum all year. He, he said it again after the game yesterday that defense needs to be this team's constant. And boy, was that the case again. That's what flipped the switch in this game was Nebraska flying around. You know, they were forcing, uh, you know, Oregon State's go-to guys in to help, especially Jordan Pope. Um, They kind of had a rotate, you know, guys rotating over on him. You know, Sam Hoiberg came in in the first half, provided a spark defensively, you know, picking Pope up. But we saw the rest of the guys in Nebraska's backcourt also get their shot at him. But they were forcing him in to help defense. They were flying around. They were crashing the glass. Um, and that led to them being able to get out and run on offense, which we know is the goal for this team. You know, defense feeds into offense. They're going to play off one another. And so far, you know, the metrics and the analytics – Nebraska's defense is what is standing out there. They have the second lowest opponent effective field goal percentage in the country so far, which says a lot about the teams they've faced, you know, Lindenwood, Florida A&M, Ryder, Stony Brook, and Oregon State. But they also says a lot about the defensive intensity that they've played with. For that, the, If you look at Ken Palm, you know, if you're a basketball dork like me, the more green you see on a team's Ken Palm page, the better the team looks. And a lot of the green in the categories are on the defensive end for Nebraska. They're top 45 in defensive efficiency on Ken Palm. They're top 35 in defensive efficiency on Bart Torvik. And on Evan Mayakawa's site, evanmaya.com, they're also in the top 30 on defensive in defensive rating. So Fred Hoiberg, we're going to hear it more throughout the year, the constant of this defense, but through five games, the intensity on that end of the court has definitely stood out. And with some of the offenses that are coming down, down the track, especially the team from Omaha coming to Lincoln on December 3rd, defense is going to be impunitive to any kind of success. When you've got the two biggest games in the uh, non-con remaining Creighton and Kansas State, that defense is going to play a role against some of those guards and in the front court, um, and it's going to be a key, obviously. But to see the defense travel two and a half hours up by 29 to Sioux Falls against a power conference opponent, and that's what flipped the switch in this game. The defense led to offense. Um, that's a big thing that stood out, and it got the crowd into it too. Three questions I still have. And this one is not about Nebraska, this team, or this season. How soon can we get another game at the Pentagon? Um, I was not in the building for the first uh, game back in twenty December of 2018 when Nebraska beat Oklahoma State by 23. That was my final season as, as a student manager. Also, Tim Miles' final season as the head coach. 
But five years later, and it was just as cool of an atmosphere as I had heard it was in, during that game, you know, a Saturday afternoon crowd on a football Saturday, 95% Nebraska fans, uh, probably just friends and family from Oregon State, made the trip. But that place, the way it's designed, it's very intimate, sits just over 3,000 people, and it got really loud in there on some defensive stops, some makes from guys like Sam Hoiberg, Kese Tomanaga, guys who are crowd favorites. The breakaway dunk from by Josiah Alec might have been the loudest it got, but that place, the uh, the drinks were flowing and the crowd was into it, and that place was rocking. Uh, especially you know when Nebraska, and that probably in a, in a way helped fuel Nebraska and the run they made. They had multiple you know double digit scoring runs push that lead up as high as 31. Um, and I know, you know, if you're, if Nebraska is going to play a game up there, it's going to be a marquee opponent. It's going to be a, you know, a, a power conference opponent on a neutral court. This is a thought that I had in my head yesterday and it was tweeted to me on Twitter after the game too. We kind of, this is a, what if, you know, Fred Hoiberg probably doesn't want to schedule a home and home against his alma mater. Probably doesn't want to go back to Hilton Coliseum or have them come to Lincoln. But how about a one-off game in Sioux Falls against the Cyclones? Um, I don't know how soon that would take place, but, you know, uh, an old Big 12 game, you know, a team uh, matchup where there's some history behind it would, you know, add to add to the intensity and the atmosphere, the buildup and all that. So that's, a, that's my what if. How about a Nebraska-Iowa State one-off? at the Pentagon within the next couple years. I think that would be really fun. Two fan bases that love to travel. Two fan bases that love to consume alcohol as well. So they would maybe drink the Pentagon out of Bush Light. But I think that would be a fun, uh, that's definitely a fun hypothetical matchup for Nebraska basketball in the future. Get me back to the Pentagon. Definitely needs to be less than five years in between Husker basketball appearances in Sioux Falls. Um, my second question, how long until we see Jawan Gary slide into the starting lineup? And maybe, maybe he is just that energy guy off the bench. Maybe that's his role. Um, but I think just the difference we've seen him make, and it's a small sample size, two games, but he had 19 points in, in his debut against Stony Brook, 12 points in a with a double-double, 10 boards um, against Oregon State yesterday. And I think you know, it's kind of prolonging the inevitable. Maybe if if I was the you know I'm not Fred Hoiberg. I'm not the I'm not the head coach, but I think you know to have Gary on the court with Mast, Lawrence, Tomonaga, and Williams. That's your most effective offensive attack, and I think that is your most you know you know that's the the best way to start a game in my opinion is to have your best five on the floor. And you know maybe that's the role that they see for Jawan. Maybe he's just working his way back into becoming that fifth starter. And by no means is that an indictment on Jamarcus Lawrence, uh, not Jamarcus Lawrence, on Josiah Alec. And the way Josiah Alec has started the season, he is clearly a big part of this team, the culture, the energy. We hear that he sets the tone in practice. Yesterday after the game, Fred Fred told us that you know that recently Josiah first play of practice. Uh, Josiah Alec lays out and makes, and Fred compared it to the Dennis Rodman picture, the famous picture of Dennis Rodman diving with his body at a full, you know, fully laying out for a rebound. And Josiah Alec's going to do that. He's the energy guy. He's going to play his, he's going to play his heart out, crash the glass, 
But if you your most offensively versatile group, I think for this team would feature Jawan Gary at the four. Um, how many games does it take for him to maybe work his way into the starting lineup? Um, I feel like it may be just a matter of time. But I can't. I you know I'm not a head coach. I wanted to maybe be a coach, but I'm here now talking on a podcast. So that's maybe that's a, a part of my judgment. But that's you know my my second question that I have. My third question is backcourt defense Um, because we saw you know Jordan Pope was definitely the top of the scouting report for Oregon State 6'2 sophomore guard who was averaging 19 coming in finished with 25 had you know the first nine points of the game for uh for the Beavers yesterday Uh, now Duquesne Duquesne comes in on Wednesday night the night before Thanksgiving seven o'clock tip at Pinnacle Bank Arena that's the next time Nebraska will return to action you know, we saw them kind of flying around, forcing Pope toward help, um, you know, to try and, you know, get as many eyes on him as possible. But Oregon State kind of just had, has, had him as the one guard who could get going. Duquesne has two um, guards who can definitely get going in Day-Day Grant and Jimmy Clark III. Grant is averaging 20 points a game. Clark is averaging 17 so far. Both of them are okay three-point shooters, but they like to get to the rim play a little bit in the mid-range game, and, you know, Nebraska's backcourt, they've got some got some depth there, but they aren't the most athletic or, you know, laterally quick guys, and, you know, when you have guys like Tomonaga, Wilcher out there on the court, um, you know, Sam Hoiberg's shown he's a capable defender, but I'm, I'll be interested to see how the defense is in the, in the backcourt against Grant and Clark on Wednesday. Um, you know, Duquesne is definitely, I think, still the third the third toughest in the non-con slate behind Creighton and K-State, and definitely going to be the toughest team that Nebraska has faced so far. So those are three things I liked. Those are three questions I still have. Um, here's some honorable mentions. You know, Nebraska already has four games with 80 points that they've scored. It took them until February last year to hit that hit that mark with four games over 80 points. Um, yesterday against Oregon State, they had 16 assists on 30 made field goals. They also only had six turnovers. They had had three straight games with double-digit turnovers, you know, including 18 turnovers against Florida A&M, which was definitely the biggest eye-opening you know, one-off stat for me so far. But they've definitely put an emphasis on taking care of the ball, and it was clear that they, you know, it was clear talking to Fred, and we got to hear from Rank and Bryce Williams after the game yesterday. That was a point of emphasis. They did just that. Only six turnovers in a dominant, dominant win. So we'll we'll close with uh, what the numbers are saying. You heard me reference three analytic websites for basketball dorks, uh, Ken Palm, Bart Torvik, and Evan Mayakawa, three guys who do a lot of uh, – <laughs> they have three great sites that put a lot of work into college basketball – but through five games, Nebraska currently sitting at number 48 on Ken Palm. Ken Palm projected record final at the end of the year, 20 and 11, 10 and 10 in the Big Ten. On Bart Torvik, Bart Torvik definitely the highest on Nebraska so far. They're sitting at number 35 in the country on Bart Torvik with the 46th highest rated offense, 33rd highest rated defense, and the projected record on Torvik, 21 and 10, 11 and 9 in the league and on Evan Mayakawa's site that he doesn't have uh sorry Evan I haven't subscribed to get the full um you know projections for the season yet 
But right now on Evans' site, Nebraska is the seventh highest team in the Big Ten in total. They're 44th in the country. Um, 68th rated offense in America, 28th rated defense. So the con- the consistent theme across those three ratings through five games, the defense is standing out, obviously. And on Torvik and Ken Palm, they've got game-by-game projections for the rest of the year. Um, they do project Nebraska to beat uh, Duquesne. Uh, Torvik says by seven. Ken Palm also says by seven. So I would not be shocked if the spread in Vegas, when it comes out, is at about seven and a half for Nebraska on Wednesday night. So that's what the numbers are saying. That's what I liked. Some questions I have after the Oregon State game in Sioux Falls. But for the first time in 15 seasons, Nebraska basketball is 5-0. and I was 11 years old in 2008 when the last time they started a season 5-0, and that team also got to 6-0 and under Doc Sadler. Um, had guys like Ade Dagenduro, Steve Harley, Sec Henry, Cookie Miller, Ryan Anderson. That's my uh, guys naming dudes. But that's how long it's been since Nebraska got off to this strong of a start. Um, that's just kind of an example of what a one-off uh, uh, post-game podcast may sound like. Not going to do this for every game, but I figured after making the trip up the road to Sioux Falls and seeing the, the positive reaction that the performance got from the fan base and from some some pundits in the Big Ten, I figured we could do a little one-off, talk about uh, excellent performance, the definitely Nebraska's best performance of the year to this point. Um, appreciate everybody tuning in. Um, this is episode two. It's going to drop shortly after the debut episode. Um, it's going to be a lot less, hopefully a lot less clunky going forward. Going to still be planning on one a week unless there's a notable result for Nebraska, a game they weren't projected to win, or unfortunately, maybe a tough loss. But if things go according to plan, we're going to be at one episode a week here on the feed. You can follow me on the app formerly known as Twitter at Jacob A. Bigelow. You can follow the show on the app formerly known as Twitter at Stretch Big Pod. Tell a friend, tell a friend, tune in, go follow the show, subscribe to the show, uh, leave a review once you've listened to a couple episodes, enough that it'll allow you to leave a review. That does a lot for me going forward. So thank you guys for tuning in, and um, we will talk again following the games against Duquesne and Cal State Fullerton, which are the next two games on the schedule for Nebraska. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.